Hi, Helen Hong. Hi, J. Keith Ben Stratton. It's wonderful to talk with you. Very nice to talk with you. You know, today on Go Fact Yourself, we have a best of episode all about music. But if you're missing new episodes from us, listeners, I'm talking to you now. Well, so are we. But we'll have an announcement about that coming very, very soon. Make sure you follow us on Twitter and Instagram at GoFactorPod to be the first to know. You can also sign up for our email list at GoFactorPod.com. No spam, we promise. So anyway, music. Yep. We're going all the way back to our first episode, showcasing segments when our guests answered questions about some of their favorite musical artists and genres. Guests like Emily Heller, Alonzo Bowden, Lennon Parham. And they're going to get quizzed on everyone from Celine Dion to Indigo Girls, Duran Duran to Contemporary Jazz, and joined by experts who helped bring that music to life. Now, if you like what you hear and you want to hear the full episodes with these guests, the links to all of them are in the show notes. Our first three segments are all about music made popular in the 1980s. Here's a bit from our very first episode where comedian Jimmy Pardo of the Never Not Funny podcast competed against Beth Littleford to show off his love of the music from the decade. And being the first episode, you might notice that the format was a little different and the questions were a little bit harder. All right, Jimmy, Go. number one. <laughs> you want to take a deep breath? I'm panicked. Okay, good enough. <laughs> number one, I think you'll get this. Yes. What 1980s album was the best-selling album two years in a row? Two years, two years in a row? Come on, I know this. Beth? <laughs> Beth, I'm, I'm gonna ask you a very serious question. Yeah. Did I interrupt when you were talking to no, Stevia? No, you didn't, no you didn't. When you no, were you going on and on about aspartame? No, Did no. I interrupt? This is more fun, this is a more fun one. More I would've fun. participated in this one. Uh, I'm gonna say it's a, it, it's a, it's a toss up between Lionel Richie uh, and Michael Jackson. I'm gonna go with Michael Jackson's Thriller. Helen? That is correct. Yes! All right, good job, Jimmy. It was the best-selling album in 1982 and 1983. Yeah. All right, number two. What singer-songwriter hosted the Grammy Awards six times, including four times in the 1980s, despite never winning a competitive Grammy until after he died? You can ask for a hint if you like. I, 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 singer-songwriter, I, I, I will take that hint. I have, I, I've got it narrowed down right, to well, seven. Okay, the, fir <laughs> the first two times he hosted in the 1970s, and also he's considered a bit of a country folk singer. I, I'll, I'll go with John Denver. Helen. That is correct, John Denver. John Denver. Wow. I'm surprised by that. Jimmy Pardo is two for two. Here we go. Number three. In 1982, a song written by a man who was 95 years old at the time became an international smash, making him the oldest living songwriter to have a top 10 hit. Who wrote that song? You're not going to give me the song. I will it's not a, give you the songs. Like... I think that would give away uh, the songwriter. This is 1982? Yep. <laughs> if, if you would like a... I'm going to have to take another hint. Okay, I don't know if this is a hint, but I'm very proud of this. The artist has one name. And I own an autographed copy of the 12-inch of this song. You know what? I don't know. I don't know. The artist who had the hit had one name. Yeah. Felco. But the singer... <laughs> 1982. But the, but the song writer... I know, Jimmy, I actually, as a fan of your show, I happen to know that not only do you know this song, <laughs> you know the catalog number. Do I really? Of the single of this song. Is that true? Because you have mentioned it on your show. Oh, you gotta be kidding me. All right, I'm embarrassed. A 1982 hit for a one-named artist. Yes, I heard that part. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Jimmy, do you have an answer? I'm gonna fold over all my numbers. I do not know. All right, Helen, what was the answer? What was the... Give me the song okay. and I'll see if I can name the, the artist. The song is a little thing called Puddin' on the Ritz. Ooh. Oh, by Irving. The artist was Taco, yeah. and the songwriter... Irving Berlin. Yeah. Damn it, damn it, damn it, damn it! Sorry, Jim. <laughs> <laughs>
That's right, Irving Berlin, composer of White Christmas, God Bless America, and the 1982 hit for Taco, putting on the Ritz. <laughs> Wait a minute, and you had this autographed by Taco? Autog I stood in line at Rose Records in what? Chicago. <laughs> to meet Taco. To meet and get signed in silvery pen, wow. Taco. I don't know, <laughs> I don't know whether to... Helen, you I, weren't alive. I don't it's know, okay. <laughs> I don't know whether to think less of you or more of you for that. More. I know I that feeling all him. too well in my own head. <laughs> Uh, Keith, I got a follow-up. Yeah. How many people were also in line? <laughs> I would say a good, uh, good dozen or two. It was huge. All right, Jimmy, you stumbled on that one. Let's see if you can get back on on question Oh, I didn't four. stumble. I fell off a cliff. I was trying to be nice. Okay, no, we, very we're good. We're all aware of uh, the scope of your failure. <laughs> uh, uh, Jimmy, num number four. Yeah. Of the five James Bond movies released in the 1980s, which one's theme song had the most success on the pop charts? Do I need to name the song or the artist? You need to name the artist or the movie. Is it Aha, The Living Daylights? Is that your guess? Yeah. I know I'm not talking it through. I know you want me to talk it through. Uh, I feel that it's Aha, The Living Daylights. <laughs> Helen. Mm, the answer was A View to a Kill. View to a Kill by Duran Duran. Oh, Duran Damn me hell. I was thinking oh. that. Be Beth, did you know that one? I knew it was Duran Duran. I couldn't think of A View to a Kill. Uh, I, I knew it was Duran Duran. I don't know. I don't know why you came up with this. All right, Jimmy, here's your final trivia no. question in the subject of 1980s music. It's mm. almost over, Jimmy. <laughs> uh, Jimmy, what music star wrote hit songs for other artists in the 1980s under the pseudonyms Jamie Starr, Joey Coco, and Alexander Nevermind? Based on uh, what I know from having worked in the record stores and uh, having enjoyed a Sheena Easton song from time to time, uh, I'm going to go with Prince. Helen? That is correct. Prince! Prince. Prince. There we go. Ding, ding. He also used the pseudonym Christopher. Yes, I he did. I give it away as well. All right, Jimmy. Okay. Here now is your question to ponder or pander. You may know this right away. You may need to think on it. The correct answer is worth three points. Okay. Love you guys. <laughs> well done. All right, Jimmy, listen closely. An artist had a top 40 song in 1981, and that probably would have been their best-known work because that same year, another song of theirs peaked at number 79. But then, six years later, that song that had peaked at number 79 rocketed to number one, thanks to an association with a Hollywood couple. For three points, name the artist, the number one song, and the Hollywood couple. Wow. Oh, jeez. You gotta be it's insane. <laughs> that's yeah, that's a toughie. You, you think Helen? that? I think you can get this, Jimmy. Repeat I have that. faith in you. All I could think of is think of Laura, Christopher Cross, and then from General Hospital. Um, what song was that? The uh, Think of Laura. Oh. By Christopher Cross. Oh. What was that from? General Hospital. Okay. <laughs> I'm gonna go with Think of Laura by Christopher Cross and General Hospital. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna lock in with that. I'm either a three for three or zero for three. But I took a big swing. <laughs> and we all appreciate it. We have an expert on hand who can tell us for sure. Helen, who do we have? Here with us tonight, we have singer, songwriter, and music historian, Grammy winner, Billy Vera. Oh, damn, I know it! <laughs> of course! Please welcome now Billy Now I know what Vera. it is. <laughs> Hello, Billy. All right, can I say it now? Or you want him to say it? Uh, you want to say it now, and then we'll have him say it, and we'll see. We I just want to like. say... Yeah. My father was good friends with your father, Don. Okay, I'm not related. I you know. You should know that. Okay. <laughs> um, 
I'm just I, trying to give you something up here. Unbelievable. <laughs> um, now, in addition to writing and performing your own songs, we did mention that you're a Grammy winner and music historian. Uh, tell us what you won the Grammy for. I, I won a Grammy for uh, writing liner notes for the uh, Ray Charles box set, uh, the complete ABC Paramount recordings. Wow. Very good. Did you get to work with Mr. Charles? I, I actually recorded Ray Charles. I, was, I did three Lou Rawls albums for Blue Note Records producing, and then one later for another label. We had an idea to use Ray as a duet partner. So I called Jerry Wexler, who had produced the great legendary record producer from Atlantic Records, when, who produced Ray in his big star days. And Jerry said, man, you don't produce Ray Charles. You just get out of his way and let him do his thing. So I, I produced Ray Charles. <laughs> you got out of his way. Tell us about the book that you've written. My book is called Harlem to Hollywood, and it's my little life story. There it is, with young Billy on the top of the book and old Billy on the bottom. Wow. The page. And it's, it's, people are liking it, uh, much to my shock and uh, amazement. And then uh, this is your uh, CD called? It's called Big Band Jazz. I always wanted to do a big band album, so I, I got uh, 18 of the best jazz musicians in L.A., and we went into Capitol Studio A., and we recorded uh, a big band album, and it's been played on uh, K-Jazz for the last year straight. So, In addition, you've also written for other artists. We actually mentioned Dolly Parton earlier. You had a number one hit for Dolly Parton. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I really got the feeling. Um, 1979 was the number one record for wow. Dolly, who is the nicest person in show business. Wow. And she's a wonderful woman. And I wrote for Ricky Nelson, Fats Domino, back in the early days. And uh, who else recorded my songs? Tom Jones, uh, Robert Plant did one of my songs. Wow. wow. Yeah. Very yeah. cool. So let's get to why you're here. Uh, what is the correct answer to the artist, the song, and the Hollywood couple that we reference in our question to Jimmy Pardo? Me. <laughs> <laughs> At this moment by Billy Barron wow. and the Beaters. <laughs> That's right. And of course, the Hollywood couple was Michael J. Fox and Tracy Pollan, who were a fictional couple on the show and then became a real-life uh, couple. And by the way, they have said in print that they are so sick of hearing my song every time they walk into a club. <laughs> That's great. All right. Well, our, our, our guest, is there anything that you'd like to ask Mr. Vera while he's here? You know, I just remember I was working at the record store at the time, and everybody would come in and ask for that record, and it was not available yet. And then uh, because it was originally out, uh, the original was out of print, and then was it Rhino Records that reissued it? Yeah, exactly. It was Rhino. It was originally on a label called Alpha, right, out of Japan, and uh, when uh, they when the first time they used it on Family Ties, I, I got a bunch of mail, and I said, man, maybe people like this song, and I went to every record company where they would still pick up my phone, which was not that many, and uh, everybody said, nah, get out of here, kid. And I, I, I was friends with Richard Foos, who owned Rhino Records. And we, were, we had a periodic lunch, you know, every once in a while, where we argue over mundane things like who has the best version of Mustang Sally and stuff <laughs> like that. And I said, hey, Richard, you know, um, people like this song. They're, they're sending me letters to NBC. And I said, how many do you need to sell to break even? He said, a couple of thousand. I'll guarantee you 2,000 records. <laughs> And, uh, and so he put it out just because he liked me. You know, he didn't mm -hmm. think he'd make any money. And next thing you know, it was that rare thing in the music business, an organic hit. I mean, the, the people asked for it. NBC told us they had more phone calls and letters than at any time in the history of the network. And how many did you end up selling? 
about a million, you know. It's, it's, yeah, still, it's, still, it's, it's still selling, you know. It's still selling today. Yeah. Well, thank you much. Where can people get your book and CD and find out where you're playing? Amazon. And they can find out where you're playing at your website? On BillyVera.com. Mr. Billy Vera, ladies and gentlemen. By the way, if you'd like to hear Jimmy answer questions about his other topics that night, the band Chicago and the post-1990s Chicago White Sox, listen to episode number 55. You know, on our show, we love to celebrate people's love of different topics. Now, that includes Kirsten Vangsness from Criminal Minds and her love of Duran Duran against her opponent, Jason Kravitz. And love might be selling it short. She is positively obsessed with everything that the 80s English New Wave band has ever done. Yeah, she's a real Durani, as they call it. <laughs> uh, and it's not just about the music. It even extends to some of the personal friendships she's made. I am friends with Neil Gaiman who I love very much, like Wait, a different, what? right? Right? He is the most lovely human being. By weird turn of events, we are really close friends. And I had to tell him the first time like, we went out to dinner and we realized, like, oh my God, we love each other. He goes, so what, what's the first book you had of mine? And I said, it's the autobiography of Duran Duran, but not because you wrote it, but because I bought it at the record store. I have two copies of it. It is so hard to get because it's rare because... Neil Gaiman wrote it. Wait, I just want to backpedal. I, I, I just want to. I, I just want to back up to you casually mentioning that you're besties with Neil Gaiman. I know. Yeah. Can we just talk about that I for the next twenty minutes? He's like, he's like my, he's like part of my little tribe of family members. I feel she's like just I just lost like, this you know. game. I feel like I'm no, like. You didn't. It's over. No. Well, Kirsten, I'm sorry we couldn't find a topic for you that you get excited about. But, <laughs> I can't um, get so excited. <laughs> Here is question number one. Kirsten, the band was named after a villain in what Jane Fonda film? Barbarella. Ellen? That is correct. That is correct. <laughs> named after the character Dr. Duran Duran. Yes, yes, yes. And he actually shows up in Sing Blue Silver, their documentary. The actor who played him actually plays himself Duran Duran, Duran in the documentary. <laughs> it's true. All right, but can you tell us, for question number two, in what English town was the band first formed? Oh, Birmingham. Ellen? Correct! That is correct as well, Birmingham. I just want to, can I just, for international geography's sake, say Birmingham? <laughs> you can I want to throw that in the mix. Yes, Neil, Neil just texted you and told you that. I All saw right. it. You saw it come up, yes. Jason, you may have run into a freight train here tonight, but uh, we, we right. will get a topic to you soon, I promise. Okay. Kirsten, number three. In the music video, To View to a Kill... How does the lead singer introduce himself? Le Bon, Simon Le Bon. Helen? That is correct. That is correct. <laughs> Fun fact, and then he blows up the Eiffel Tower. It's true. Yep, because back then, back then that wasn't a disturbing possibility. That was, that was for View to a Kill, and the, 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 the uh, Grace Jones is in that. <gasps> that's right, that's right. Wow. By the way, that's the that. only James Bond theme to chart at number one in the U.S. Thank you. It's an amazing song. I tried to lip sync it in seventh grade for my drama class, but she wouldn't let us. <laughs> I hate her. Uh, here we go, number four. You're on a roll. The band's most commercially successful album in the U.S. peaked at number four on the Billboard 200 chart. Which album is it? I think it was the wedding album. Helen? That is not correct. No, I'm okay, sorry. Then it was, then it was, then it I'm was. sorry. It's no, Jason's opportunity wanted... to steal. Oh, Jason. I'd like to say Botswana, <laughs> Jakey. I know what it is. I know what it is. Helen, was it Botswana? It was not Botswana. Kirsten, would you like a second chance? It was Rio? It was not Rio. It's no, not in fact, Rio. it was Arena. It was Arena. Oh, I didn't know that. Well, that's wow. why we, uh, we try to find difficult Botswana. things for you. This is number five. This is supposed to be the most difficult question. I have a pretty good feeling you might get this, though. <laughs> what fantasy writer 
wrote a biography <laughs> about Duran Duran. Spoiler alert. Titled Duran Duran, The First Four Years of the Fab Five, which he later called, quote, the worst thing Wait. he'd ever written. Okay, hold on, hold on, and I'll hold remind on, you, you do have a hint available. I've got it, I've got it, I've got it. Hold on. I think on. I know this wait one. Minute, I minute. think science, I know this one. Science fiction? <laughs> Is that uh, what you said, science fiction? I said, what fantasy writer? Okay, okay. Um, <laughs> Tolkien. <laughs> what? You could call him. And again, I'm you're trying to. Sorry, I don't, I need, I I don't need your pity. All right. It wasn't pity. It's just oh, I like I ties. Um, Neil Gaiman. Yes, it is Neil Gaiman. Course. Amazing. Of course. You guys are serious. They gave me like dirty looks. I'm I'm a, and I want to yeah. point out, Kirsten, completely on her own, without even mentioning Duran Duran backstage, brought up that fact. So we knew that she was going to get at least one. Very well I'm done, so Kirsten. Proud of it. All right, Kirsten, you've done very well, but now here is your expert level question oh, that requires multiple answers. It's okay. time for your. Cluster facts. Ooh. Oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God. Now, this question is so high level, we'll be bringing on an expert to assess your response. The correct answer is worth up to three points. Here we go. In 1985, members of the band focused on side projects. John and Andy Taylor formed one band, and Simon LeBon and Nick Rhodes formed another. For up to three points, what were the names of those two bands, and what was the biggest hit single to come from either of them? Okay, I believe it was Power, Power Station was John Taylor, Andy Taylor, and that was with Robert Palmer and um, Niall Rogers, I believe, who is amazing. Then there was Arcadia, which was my favorite, not most people's. And I think, I think, I think the song that was the big deal was Get It On, Bang A Gong, which was our cover of a T-Rex song. I think I could be wrong. Well, we have Kirsten's answers. <laughs> We have an expert on hand who can tell us for sure. Someone who, believe it or not, knows more about Duran Duran than Kirsten. <laughs> Helen, who do we have tonight? Here with us tonight, we have the music editor at Yahoo and author of Careless Memories of Strange Behavior, My Notorious Life as a Duran Duran Fan. It's Lindsay Parker! Lindsay Parker! Oh my God! Ooh! Lindsay nice. is modeling both her uh, Nagel jacket and her Duran Duran concert t-shirt. She's just covered like, in Duran Duran. I have your I book, too. Oh, very good. Of course you do. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Uh, now, Lindsay, I feel like we need to be friends. We need to go get a beer after this or something. Done. Done and done. All right. All right. I think it's going to happen. So what do you do as music editor for Yahoo? I have actually interviewed Duran Duran a few times. For <gasps> Yeah, I know. That's how I reacted when I found out I got to do it. <laughs> uh, I've, I've actually remained relatively calm. I hope they haven't actually read the book that I did, because the book was actually, it was part of Rhino's series of music journalists talking about sort of the bands that set them on that path and how they were super dorks for those bands. So it's basically me talking about how I used to send John Taylor, like, Polaroid photos of myself when I was 12. Like, he was really going to be like, yeah, this is great. And they didn't recognize you when uh, you interviewed <laughs> them later? That's probably for the best. Or I remember a time I read in, like, Tiger Beat that my that uh, John Taylor's favorite breakfast was green marmalade on toast, so I sent him, like, care packages what? of green marmalade. Yeah, fun that fact. That is the sweetest stalker move I've it ever was. heard of. So, and that was my first concert, and the whole book is sort of just about that coming-of-age story. So hopefully they didn't read that, because it, it's... Yeah, it's a little stocky. Now, have you had a chance to actually be, be a critic of them in your, in your role, or is it just as, a, as an interviewer? Like, can, can you objectively say whether something is good or bad if you love them so much? Well, obviously, I'm a, a bit of a Duran Duran apologist, and even some of the records that a lot of fans didn't like. Like, I would be curious to know what you thought of uh, Red Carpet Massacre, because I actually like that. I will say, though, that the uh, album Thank You, I can't really get behind. Yeah, Kirsten, rebuttal? Cannot get There's behind. There's a couple of songs that I think were... 
good, interesting choices. <laughs> Very well, diplomatic. The, it was their covers album, and they actually had, like, their taste in music was good. Like, they picked really cool songs, but they just didn't, it didn't work. Yeah. And I was so rooting for them because, actually, this is kind of crazy. Their comeback record, so the record that came out when people were sort of like Duran Duran are over, and then they came back, and it was the wedding album in 1993, and they had two top five hits. That came out last weekend, February 11th, was the 25th anniversary of that album. Wow. But everyone was kind of rooting for them, and hope, I was hoping it wouldn't be a fluke. And then they put out, thank you, and I was like, no, what are you doing, Duran Duran? No. <laughs> Have you um, seen them recently? Are they still sexy? They're, yes. <laughs> <laughs> what she said, yes. They, they're aging very, very well. Ooh. Actually, Simon Le Bon, it was just announced, is going to be a grandfather. Wow. And he's a gilf. He's a gilp All right, now let's get to the reason that uh, we brought you here tonight As far as our game goes Uh, Let's remind everyone the question that we asked Kirsten We asked her to name the two side projects That were formed by band members in 1985 And the biggest hit to come out of either of them Helen, let's remind everyone of one of the bands That Kirsten said was formed then Kirsten said the Power Station That is correct That is correct But it wasn't Nile Rodgers It was Tony Thompson from Chic Oh my God! And Bernard right. Edwards from Chic also produced. Now Rogers has well, done a lot of stuff with him. He's done a lot of stuff. He has. Yeah. That's true. In her defense, That's he's done a lot. So we should not shave any points no. off of you that. You can't give her points for that. She was Come just on. adding some fun <laughs> facts. So no, no yeah. points shaved at all. All right. Our and Helen, is correct. Helen, what did Kirsten say was the other side project formed by members of the band? Kirsten said Arcadia. Lindsay. That is correct, and I would love to have an offline conversation with you about Power Station versus Arcadia, because people do tend to take sides. I'm, I like them both, but I'm kind of team Arcadia. Me too. Oh, yeah. oh my God, they're going to be besties! <laughs> All right, and finally, Helen, we asked Kirsten, the biggest hit single to come from either band, what did she say? Kirsten said, get it on, bang a gong. The T-Rex cover, that is wrong. It did do well. Oh. It charted at number nine, but Some Like It Hot actually Some charted. Some Like It Hot. Yeah, Some it like charted. It. And you know, what's interesting is actually Election Day charted at number six, and so did Some Like It Hot, but Some Like It Hot was on the chart longer, so that technically is the most successful. All right, but still a very good job by uh, Kirsten on that round. Now, Kirsten... Anything you would like to ask of our expert, Lindsay Parker, while she's here? No, I'm overwhelmed. <laughs> okay, fair enough. I am legitimately, I'm, I'm gobsmacked by, like, how much time we've spent on clearly yeah. one of my favorite subjects. <laughs> was it, I would like to say, was that the best use of my time? But it set me on my path to being a music journalist, so I will say yes. Thank Very you, good, Durand and if people Durand. want to see your work, Lindsay, where can they find you? They can go to yahoo.com slash music. Lindsay Parker, ladies and gentlemen. Yes. One last segment before we take a break. You can't talk about the 80s without talking about the king of pop. We've actually had a few guests say that they know a lot about Michael Jackson music. Now, that includes actor Lennon Parham, who I loved watching on Bless This Mess. She was on episode eight, where she competed against Paul Shear. Of course, we talk a lot about Michael Jackson's music, but we especially focus on the artists he's worked with. And you'll see why when we bring our expert to the stage. Here we go, Lennon. Question number one. Many famous people were happy to collaborate with Michael Jackson. Yes. What rock guitarist recorded this solo on a Michael Jackson number one hit, and what was the name of the song? Please listen. Oh, it was... Oh, wait. Lennon is smiling. What is the answer? So it goes... 
That's and that goes right into Beat It, mm -hmm. and that's Eddie Van Halen. Ellen? That is correct. That is correct, Eddie Van Halen and Beat It. All right, here we go. Number two, a question about Michael's personal life. Michael was married twice, yes. once to Lisa Marie Presley and yes. once to whom? Oh, this is not the music. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know, Lisa Cabrone or was something. Was it Lisa Cabrone? It was not, not, not Lisa, Lisa Cabrone. Cabrone. Paul with a chance to steal. Oh, I don't know. Can I take her hint? No. No, you cannot have her hint. <laughs> no, I don't know it. Doesn't know it. All right, Helen, who was it? It was Debbie Rowe. Debbie Rowe, oh, yes. Debbie Which Rowe, sounds like yeah. a name you would put on like a legal brief if you're trying to be Rowe anonymous. Rowe versus Wade, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, let's see if you can bounce back with this one. Question number three. Most people know the number one albums of Michael Jackson, but not all his albums were hits. Yeah. In fact, which 1975 album of his is his only non-compilation solo record not to crack the top 100 on the Billboard charts? 1975. Mm -hmm. You do have a hint available if you'd like it. Sure, take the hint. Helen, how about a hint? It included the singles, We're Almost There, and Just a Little Bit of You. Mm. This, I can picture what his face looked like then. That's close and, enough. And the size of his afro, it was sizable. And that was, like, <laughs> that was around the whiz time. Mm -hmm. So uh, I, I'm going to say... Michael and the magic of the music. <laughs> was it Michael and the magic of the music? It was not. No, Paul with a chance to steal. Self-titled Michael Jackson. Helen? No. No, a good guess. No, no, it was actually called Forever Michael. Right, right, Forever right, right, right. Michael. Forever, comma, Michael. Oh, yes, I'm sorry, the comma. Forever, I think it's a comma, silent comma, Michael. but we'll see. Uh, here we go, number four. In November of 2002, Michael Jackson is seen on video dangling his baby from a fourth-story balcony. In what city did the baby dangling take place? This is all about the stuff I don't like. Oh, um, but it still well, the happens. baby's name was Blanket. Mm -hmm. um, and <laughs> that, that part too, yeah. I think it was in Italy. Um, you do have a hint available if you'd like it. Sure, I'll take it. Right, let's hint. have that second hint, Helen. It was right near the Brandenburg Gate. Oh, this is great. It, was it on a continent? <laughs> <laughs> I can confirm it was on a continent. All right, I'll say Berlin. Was it Berlin? That is correct. It is Berlin! Oh! It's funny because I also thought Italy for whatever reason. I was like, oh, Italy. Definitely yeah. Italy. Well, Italy is for lovers and for baby it's danglers. It's sort of yes. the Vatican thing. Yes. Like, the pee came out. By the way, I the believe that if you dangled that baby in Italy, people wouldn't have freaked out so much. <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> All right, you're back, on, uh, you're back on track. Let's see if you can close it out with number five. Oh, no. Now, this is a harder question, but I think, you, I think you have a good chance at it. Okay, sure. Number five, Weird Al Yankovic recorded several parodies of Michael's songs, mm -hmm. all with Michael's blessing. But there was one song Al wanted to record that Michael did not want him to. What was the song that Michael thought was too important to be parodied? I'm going to say uh, Heal the World. Helen, was it no, Heal the World? It was not No, Heal I'm sorry. The Paul, with a chance to steal. I'm going to say... Man in the Mirror. Was it Man in the Mirror? It was not Man no, in the Mirror. No, no, no. The, uh, the parody was called Snack All Night, and it was a parody of Black or oh, White. Oh, I was going to say Black or White. Black yeah. or White. Too important to parody. Mm. All right. Uh, you, you struggled a little bit there, but you do have a chance to make it up with three points in your cluster fact. Ooh. Oh, my God. All right. Here you go, Lennon. Released in 1979, the first single from Off the Wall yes. was Michael Jackson's first number one hit as a solo artist yes. since 1972 and won him his first Grammy. Mm -hmm. For up to three points, what was the song, what was the 1972 song, and which Grammy did he win? Don't Stop Till You Get Enough. Mm -hmm. I'm going to say Ben. Mm -hmm. And what Grammy was it? Which Grammy award was it? 
Best album. And best album. No, it was for a single, so um, you may want to reconsider that? it. The best album something? for a single? Maybe best record, is that what you're thinking? Yes, best record. And best record. Best okay. LP. Nailed it. Fair enough. All right, uh, Helen, has, Helen is dutifully noting your answers. We have an expert on hand who can tell us for sure. Helen, who do we have tonight? Here with us tonight is one of the music industry's hardest working singers who sang on hit records for Luther Vandross, what? Aretha Franklin, and Michael Jackson. It's Paulette McWilliams. Paulette McWilliams, ladies and gentlemen. Wow. Good Welcome. evening, Miss McWilliams. <laughs> How are you? Uh, I'm very well and very happy to, to see you here. We're going to talk about Michael Jackson a little bit, but let's talk about some of your other work. You were one of the harlots for Bette Midler on one? Broadway. What? Yes, yes. One of the harlots, yes. And in addition to the artist that uh, Helen mentioned, you also uh, worked and if I'm not mistaken, toured with Marvin Gaye? I toured. I was the last, I was the, on the last tour with Marvin Gaye. I did what? all the duets with all Marvin. All the Tammy Terrell On his last tour. Wow. So you're pretty much a living legend. Uh, well, I wouldn't. Yeah, well, that's, what, that's kind of what we're getting at. Okay, now, well, so we'll talk a little bit about what you did with Michael Jackson without revealing any of the answers um, that uh, we asked oh, Lennon. He was so intense with what he did at the same time he was the most gentle and kind spirit mm. um, and I'm he was <laughs> and he articulated everything the way he wanted it and he was so acute did he welcome input or suggestions from singers like you i never offered input <laughs> I was, well that's probably why you did more than one uh, song with michael jackson <laughs> tell us a few of the songs that you recorded with michael can you feel it <gasps> can wow. you feel it yeah, yeah. wow um, and uh don't stop till you get enough wow that's me on, don't stop till you get enough <laughs> that's her that was her wow oh my god i just got chills yeah you, you just sang six words, and, and I, I don't know what to do with myself anymore. Um, that's so crazy. That's great. And then uh, in addition to that, you, you currently have your own career as a solo artist, but in a, in a very specific genre. Yes, I sang everything from Placido Domingo record. <gasps> I sang with uh, Sammy Davis Jr. record. That's me singing on, ooh, I love you, moaning, moan, moan, moaning. No! Right <laughs> that's wow. myself and a lady named Stephanie Sproul, yes. Are you, like, are you like the Forrest Gump of music? Like you just ended up in like um, so many great songs of so many different genres. There's a lot. There's a lot. What? I was going to ask if you still sing, but obviously. Oh, obviously you do. Yeah. Of no, course, she's obviously I... slumming tonight. We're very aware of that. Wow. All right, Miss McWilliams, uh, we're thrilled to hear you sing uh, that and, and, and pretty much anything you want to sing. Yeah. But we do have to get to the reason that we brought you sure. here tonight as far as our game Absolutely. is concerned. You heard the question that we asked Lennon. We wanted her to name the first number one single from Off the Wall, the previous number one single that Michael had, and the name of the Grammy uh, that he won. Helen, let's please remind everyone of the answer that Lennon gave to what was the first number one hit from Off the Wall. Lennon said, don't stop till you get enough. And? She is. She's absolutely right. Absolutely right. <laughs> Don't point. stop till you get enough On featuring point. Paulette McWilliams. Wait, will you sing it again? Yeah. Don't stop till you get enough. Ooh. <laughs> So uh, you know good. what? I, I don't think I can get enough of that. That is pretty amazing. Uh, and then, Helen, please remind everyone what Lennon said was Michael Jackson's previous number one hit. Lennon said, Ben. Ben. Ben, the two of us need to look no more. Wow. <laughs> she got that right as well. That was about rats. That was about a rat, a very specific rat. It was about a rat, yeah. Wow. That, that rat really... So beautiful. That is gorgeous. Such a famous rat. And finally, let's uh, remind everyone, Helen, please, what Lennon said was the award that Michael won as his first Grammy. Lennon said best record or LP. 
Well, I can understand why she said that, but yeah. that one wasn't right. It was the best R&B performance. Best oh. R&B performance. Did you go to the Grammys that year? Were you involved no. in that at all? No. Okay. No, I didn't go that year. Grammys? No. Can we just all just get on the same page? Been to so a lot Grammys of Grammy have... shows, but not yeah. that one. I don't, I don't know if I could list more than seven categories because they're all very specific. I get confused by the, the yeah. Grammy yeah. categories. Yeah. And yeah. when yeah. are they going to have a Grammy for best uh, backup singer? Well, I'm a... I'm a... <laughs> <laughs> I am a vocalist that sings background. Oh, pardon me. Is that, is but that that's, a, okay. That? okay. that's okay. That's okay. That's okay. Because I sing my the genre. They they put me in the class of jazz, and it's because I do sing jazz, and it's my first love. Excellent. And if people want to want to hear you sing or or go see you perform, where can they find you? Well, they can go to my website, and I'm also on Spotify. Ooh. And um, what's your website? My website is paulettemcwilliams.com. So, Lennon, while we have our Michael Jackson expert here, is there anything yes. you'd like to ask her? I just bow down to you. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I am in awe. I cannot believe that I said yes to do this podcast, and I'm sitting next to Paulette. <laughs> That's what we like to hear. We love it. That was amazing. That really was, yeah. I was like, woo! It was great to make Lennon Parham cry uh, in a good way. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we'll be right back with more Go Fact Yourself after this word from our friends at Maximum Fun. Hi, I'm James, host of Minority Corner, which is a podcast that's all about intersectionality. It's hosted by James with a guest host every week. Discussing all sorts of wonderful issues, nerdy and political. Pop culture. Black queer. Feminism. Race. Sexuality. News. You're going to learn your history, their self-empowerment, and it's told by what feels like your best friend. Why should someone listen to Minority Corner? Why not? Oh my God, free stuff. There's not free stuff. The listeners of Minority Corner will enjoy some necessary LOLs, but mainly a look at what's happening in our world through a colorful lens. People will get the perspective of marginalized communities. I feel heard. I feel seen. Like you said, you need to understand how to be more proactive in your community and this is a great way to get started. Join us every Friday on Max Fun or wherever you get your podcast. Minority, Minority Corner. Corner. Because, because together, together we're, we're the majority. majority. Uh, I didn't, but let's just let's do that. That'll be easy. Oh, Helen, let's do it together. Ready? One, mm -hmm. two, three. And, and now, now a word from, from our sponsor. sponsor. <laughs> <laughs> Please use that. Hey, everybody. Not only can ExpressVPN protect your privacy and security online, right? But you can also use ExpressVPN to unlock movies and shows that are only available in other countries. You know, now that so many of us are stuck at home, it's only a matter of time until, well, you run out of stuff to watch on Netflix. But you can use ExpressVPN to virtually change your location to almost 100 different countries. So just think about all the extra libraries you'll be able to access. Stuff like Star Trek Discovery from Netflix UK, Brooklyn Nine-Nine from Netflix Canada, and Rick and Morty from Netflix France. Yeah, I thought you'd like those. It's fast, too, so you can say goodbye to buffering or lag and stream in HD with no problem. ExpressVPN is also compatible with all your devices, phones, media consoles, smart TVs, and more. I got a Roku TV, and it works great. So you can watch what you want on a personal device or on your big screen, wherever you are. Now, if you visit our special Go Fact Yourself link right now at expressvpn.com slash gofact, you can also get an extra three months of ExpressVPN for free. Yeah, free. 
You can support this show, watch what you want, and protect yourself with ExpressVPN. That's expressvpn.com slash gofact. Expressvpn.com slash gofact. Thank you, ExpressVPN. Welcome back to Go Fact Yourself's Best of Music episode. I'm Helen Hong. And I'm Jake Keith Van Stratton. Hey, let's go from the 80s to one of the biggest singers of the 90s. It's Celine Dion. If you know the hits like The Power of Love, My Heart Will Go On, then you know and love Celine Dion. Or you know and can't stand her. Either way, I know one person who loves her, fresh off the boat actor Chelsea Crisp. She took on Drew Drogi in her game, and we'll have a fun footnote about her topic and her expert after you listen to this. <laughs> All right, here we go. Chelsea, your first question about Celine Dion. Celine's first number one single in the U.S. was a cover of a song that had already been a hit for Jennifer Rush, Laura Branigan, and Air Supply. What was the song of Celine's that hit number one in 1994? The Power of Love. Helen? That is correct. That is correct, The Power of Love. Uh, yeah. Out the gate. <laughs> Have, you heard, any of those? Have you heard any of the other versions of it? No, I was just thinking that as you were reading those. I haven't. Yeah. I've only heard Celine. And it turns out not the same as the Huey Lewis song. <laughs> or the D-Light song. There's a D-Light song called Power really? of Love wow. as well. Anybody? No yeah. one? Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Would that, would that be Lady Miss Keir? Yes, Lady Miss mm-hmm. Keir. I went that to Sarah Lawrence. <laughs> All right, question number two. In 1990, Celine Dion released her ninth studio album, but her first in English. What was it called? Unison. Helen? That is correct. That is correct. No hesitation. Oh, Wikipedia. Damn, you right. (laughs) By the way, I should tell you that I did go into Wikipedia and change some things around. So if you're relying solely on that, you might be out of luck. Uh, Here we go. You're two for two. Here is question number three. Celine has had four singles hit number one on the Billboard charts, but only one of them was a duet. What was it? You do have two hints available if you'd like to use one Oh, I'll take a hint. All right, Helen, how about that hint? It's what Mike Trout or Shohei Otani could say. <laughs> Our audience seems lost. Well, you know, all that old Mike Trout, Shohei Otani. Yeah. A couple people know. A couple people who are more specific nerds know. Uh, oh, did oh, that help? Oh, that didn't help, but okay. I know what it is. Okay, go ahead. Uh, oh, I'm your angel with R. Kelly. Helen? That is correct. That is correct. Wow. <laughs> How did that not help? Mike Trout and Shohei Otani are stars of the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim playing so right sorry. now. I'm so sorry. How did, how did it, how oh, did it take loose? Okay, got it. Um, it just stalled. Just because I, I, Beauty and the Beast felt wrong, so mm-hmm. I just started running through the Rolodex of other duets. Very and that, good. that one yeah, right. came through. All right, here we go. Question number four. Celine has had songs on many movie soundtracks, but which of the following movies did not feature a Celine Dion song? Beauty and the Beast, Up Close and Personal, City of Angels, Sleepless in Seattle, or Bicentennial Man? It's City of Angels. Helen? That is correct. That is yeah, correct. I knew wow. that. I had that soundtrack. Did you? Yeah, I sure did. Oh, well, we all had that soundtrack. We did. We Google lived dolls, through the 90s. Wow, I thought yeah. that would be a lot more difficult. Okay, <laughs> here we go. Number Chelsea, five. you're killing it right now. You really are. There's a lot of reasons. Let's, let's see if you can get a, a perfect game here. Number five, Celine Dion's biggest hit, of course, is My Heart Will Go On. Name one of the two people that wrote it. Uh oh. The audience groaning with excitement. <laughs> it's one of the big composers, so I'm just. Mm-hmm. Oh, can I take a clue? Yes. I have another clue left. Let's mm-hmm. have that second hint, Helen. Both won Oscars for partnering on the song, but they both have Oscars for work they did apart as well. That would be everyone I was already thinking of. <laughs> uh, I'm just going to take a crack and say James Horner. Helen? That is correct. Five for oh, five. Five. Oh. Chelsea, oh. Chris. <laughs> Damn. 
Damn. Will Jennings was the lyricist. James Horner wrote the music. Wow. Jennings, by the way, won an Oscar also for the song Up Where We Belong from Officer and a Gentleman. And Horner, of course, won the Oscar for the entire score of Titanic. Chelsea, you have a chance to sweep this with our next expert-level question that requires multiple (laughs) answers. It is time for your cluster fact. Oh, I can't wait to meet the guest. (laughs) Right after this. Uh, Because Uh this question is so high-level, we'll be bringing on an expert to assess your response. Now, the question is worth up to three points. Here we go. Falling Into You was Celine Dion's biggest-selling album and one of the top-selling albums of all time. But how well do you know it? For up to three points... What song comes between the tracks All By Myself and Dreaming of You? What famous fictional couple is mentioned in the song? And who wrote the song? (laughs) Take that, Wikipedia. Super, (laughs) super hard. The only one I can even guess at is maybe Diane Warren wrote it because she wrote so many of her songs. Okay, so Diane Warren is going to say is the songwriter. Is one of them, I'm supposed to guess, the couple? So she gets the fictional couple that's mm-hmm. mentioned in the song. I'm going to guess Romeo and Juliet just because her songs are so often about love. Okay. So we Romeo and Juliet. Do you want to say, is there a song that mentions Romeo and Juliet you can think Not of? Not that I can think of, okay. no. That's really an off-the-cuff guess. Okay. Um, I guess I'll say Falling Into You. Falling, okay. So the answers again are Falling Into You, Romeo and Juliet, and Diane <laughs> Warren. All right. We have Helen marking down those answers, and we have an expert on hand who can tell us for sure. Helen, who do we have tonight? Here with us tonight is a songwriter and producer with over 50 million records sold who's written for Shaka Khan, Eminem, Mandy Moore, and Celine Dion. It's Michael J. Michael J., ladies and gentlemen. You were standing right there. <laughs> That was so funny. Great. I should just say that Diane Warren has only one song on that album. I know. I know she does. I know. Falling Into You was written by Billy Steinberg, who also wrote Like a Virgin. What? Interesting. Yes. No. Now, Mr. J, before we get into talking about uh, Celine, so many artists have recorded your songs, but you've also produced for a lot of artists. Tell us about some of those people. I've been doing this for 30 years, worked with New Kids on the Block, Kylie Minogue, Mandy Moore. I produced Peter Allen's last album. I don't know how many people know who he is. Oh, of course. (laughs) Yes. Fantastic. So what song did you write for Celine Dion? I think we have a clip. Well, let's listen to a little bit right now. (laughs) You're my knight in armor, the hero of my heart. Chelsea Chris lip-syncing to the lyrics. (laughs) (laughs) All right, very good. Chelsea, do you recognize that song now? I do. It's Declaration of Love. Declaration of Love. Great. Mm -hmm. Now let's talk about this song, uh, Mr. J. This was not originally written for Celine Dion, is that correct? Yes, it was written for Aretha Franklin. Wow. Wow. Yeah. And how did it come to be uh, recorded well, by Celine? I was working on a project. There was a group called Expose. Of course. Sure. Absolutely. That was Clive Davis's group, and I was working with them, and Clive asked me to write him a song for Aretha. So uh, my writing as part- he as he as Clive does. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Hey, could you write a song for Aretha? Yeah, we've all gotten that call, am I right? <laughs> so my writing partner and I wrote the song Declaration of Love, and we played it for Clive, and he hated it. What? Oh. He, he didn't even play it for Aretha. Never even went. We just stuck it in a drawer for a couple of years. And my writing partner became the musical director for Celine Dion on tour while she was making Falling Into You. His name is Claude Gaudet. And uh, they were backstage just shooting the breeze one day. And she said, you know, I'd really love to have a song like Aretha Franklin. <laughs> wow. And, wow. And he pulled it out and he played it for her and uh, she recorded it. That's amazing. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Awesome. <laughs> 
It's it's that makes sense because it's it's such a like classic big diva song. Yeah. It's so built for a big voice like that. From what I understand, Celine actually, as we mentioned, this was not her first language English, and she actually did not quite get the lyrics correct as they were written. Right. Uh, I didn't produce the record, so I wasn't in the studio when she recorded the vocal, and they couldn't find a lyric sheet. So she learned the lyrics phonetically off the demo, and English isn't her first language, so she got a lot of the words wrong. What? Like, well, for example, in the first verse, there's um, Hero of My Heart, and the line after that should be True Work of Art, and she says, True World Go Up. Yeah, she does. (laughs) (laughs) Well, she's not wrong. True World does go up. I mean, come on, we can't get... You know, I never... This is breaking news, because this is the first time I've ever actually said this in public, that that she got the lyrics wrong, because I I never Uh told anybody. I didn't care, because it was Celine Dion. Well, of course... she can sing the words off of a brochure in an insurance seminar yeah, and win yeah. a Grammy for it. It doesn't oh, yeah. matter what she's singing. She, she sounds great. She could sing great. my CVS receipt. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that would be a long, and it would take a long time. Well, speaking of Grammys, the album itself won a Grammy. Do, as, a, as one of the songwriters, do you get a piece of that? I have a certificate on my wall oh, from, from the nice. Recording Academy. Yes. <laughs> And Chelsea actually just corrected me. The album won two Grammys. Yeah, it won, won album pop of the album year, of the year and, and album pop of the year. Wow, okay, okay very good. Okay, Chelsea. <laughs> I was yeah. ready for that one. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so she recorded the song and it was released, and you actually had not met her yet, right? When when did you get to meet her? And I met her. Ju- like? I met her just before the album was coming out. Sadly, actually, my co-writer who I wrote the song with uh, died of a heart attack before Oof. the album came out, wow. and he was her musical director. So mm. it was kind of a, a sad way to to meet her and Renee for the first time. Sure. But it sort of bonded us. You know, I, I got to see them both a lot through the years. I, w- I would go backstage to all our concerts. Mm. It was just a, a wonderful experience to just hang out with them and talk. She's just a, such a wonderful person. And you never told her that she got the lyrics. Right? I never, I know, oh yeah, I, <laughs> I actually never did. So wait, very so good man. Has she has she performed that song live before? Yes, since and she still sings it the the wrong way. She sings it the wrong way. The lyrics in the booklet of the CD are the wrong way. What? Yeah. So there's a, there's a market inefficiency there. If somebody listening wants to have the only correct version of the song, they can, they can track it down. All right, well, let's get to the reason that we brought you here today. As far as our game goes, you heard the question that we asked of Chelsea. We wanted her to name the song that came before All By Myself and Dreaming of You. Let's remind everyone, Helen, what did Chelsea say? Chelsea said, falling into you. And is that correct, Mr. J? Uh, no. No. In fact, we know now that the song was... Declaration, Declaration of, of Love. Declaration of Love. All right. Then we asked Chelsea to name the famous fictional couple who was mentioned in the song. Helen, what did Chelsea say? Chelsea said Romeo and Juliet. And Michael J., we now know... That's correct. That is correct. That's a point for Chelsea. <laughs> and finally, we asked Chelsea to name the songwriter. She gave a very reasonable guess of... Diane Warren. And of course, we know now that is incorrect because who is the correct answer? Michael J. That's right. <laughs> And Chelsea, is there anything else you'd like to ask of our expert while we have him here? Do you think you started a trend of her doing songs like that? Because she'd never done a song like that before. And after, she did do a few more in that vein. Yeah, uh, you know, when, whenever Celine is making an album, the songwriters in town, they write ballads for her. Everybody is just yeah. submitting ballads. And her album tends to get ballad heavy. So I tell other songwriters that I work with, if you want to get a song on Celine's album and not deal with the competition, write something up-tempo. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. All right, we'll get right to that. Uh, if people want to find out more about your work, where can they uh, do that, Mr. J? I have a website, michaeljsongs.com, uh, Twitter, Instagram, Michael J. Songs. Also, here's something very interesting. There's a free app that you could download called Quack. It's Q-W-A-Q-Q, something like that, quack.com. And on it, you can hear original demos of hit songs by a lot of big songwriters. What? And the original oh. demo of Declaration of Love is on that 
that app. So if you download the app, you, you have access to all these song demos you can listen to. But are the lyrics the right lyrics? Oh, well, um, the, the, let's see. The, um, the Romeo and Juliet line is, uh, just like Juliet belonged to Romeo, you can safely bet that I'm not letting you go. Yeah. <laughs> and we do have to let you go, though. We're so happy that we had you. Mr. Michael J., ladies and gentlemen. So as Michael J. said, Celine Dion did not have a lyric sheet when she recorded the song he co-wrote, Declaration of Love. So she sang what she thought she had heard on the demo recording. Plus, you know, English is not her first language, and that led to some interesting changes to the lyrics of the song. So we are going to read the lyrics to Declaration of Love. Jay Keith will read the lyrics that Michael J. and Claude Godet originally wrote. And then Helen will read what Celine Dion actually sang. Got it? All right. So she starts out okay with these lyrics. You're my knight in armor, the hero of my heart. When you smile at me, and this is where it starts to go off the rails, I see a true work of art. But Celine sings, when I see you smile at me, I see a true world go up. Forever is guaranteed. Believe it. The river is getting deep. Believe it. All wrapped up with a ribbon, baby. I'm giving you this heart of gold. All wrapped up with a river, baby. I'm giving you this heart of gold. Just like Romeo and Juliet, you can safely bet that I won't be letting you go. Just like Romeo and Juliet, you can stay prepared that I won't be letting you go. Yes, that is the Boy Scout motto, isn't it? Stay prepared <laughs> that I won't be letting you go. Uh, now, what's even weirder is that these crazy Celine Dion lyrics are what appear in the liner notes on the album and published in the sheet music. So when other artists cover this song, they sing those nonsense lyrics. Right, because the real lyrics were never published. But now that we've revealed them, you can sing the correct lyrics next time you sing along. And if that isn't reason enough to support Go Fact Yourself, I don't know what is. You know, when I first learned that comedian Alonzo Bowden would be a guest on Go Fact Yourself, I had no idea that he was such a fan of contemporary jazz. But Helen, you did. Yes, I did. He's always talking about smooth jazz and the and the trips he takes with smooth jazz. He's just a, a, a smooth jazz head. Yeah. Well, here Alonzo is giving us all a crash course on the history of contemporary jazz. And then we bring out an expert he probably should have known because he also happens to be Alonzo's personal friend. There's a company called entertainment cruise productions that I work with and they do different jazz cruises it started out with what they called the jazz cruise which was the traditional jazz you know they'd have big bands on board the ship and some jazz trios and and so on and then they did a smooth jazz cruise which has become like just a a party cruise so I've got to work with these artists and I got to talk to them and meet them and listen to their stories and they, wait see so you're on the cruises as the comedian I'm the comedian when people are sick of the 24 hours of jazz they're like let's go see some comedy no no actually I am I tell everyone I'm the fan with the best seat in the house because mm-hmm. I can go backstage and I can hang out and the, the way I got the gig is because I listen to jazz I was able to make fun of the musicians and they love that they uh, love they're like man is he gonna roast me tonight outstanding so, well, you so cert- now, after saying all that, watch me get all five questions wrong. <laughs> Here we go. Question number one about contemporary jazz. Alonzo, who is the managing and artistic director of jazz at Lincoln Center? Wynton Marsalis. Helen? That is correct. That is correct. It is Wynton Marsalis. Out the gate with confidence. Number two, what multiple Grammy-winning jazz saxophonist or saxophonist performed the sax solos on David Bowie's Young Americans and the theme to L.A. Law? Oh, wow. Um, That's a tough one. I'm going to guess David Sanborn. Helen? That is correct. That is correct. David Sanborn. 
All right, here you go. You're two for two. Here is number three. What jazz fusion legend is a noted Scientologist contributing to... Chick Corea. Chick Corea. <laughs> Liz, inside no, voice. No, I, I had that. No, I, he had I didn't it. Even yeah, hear I know, it. No, it. I know it's Chick. I know it's Chick. You know what? I wrote a full question. <laughs> uh, hey, Helen, is he correct? He is correct. It is correct. It is Chick Corea. Yes. I think you'll enjoy this factoid, though. Uh, he contributed to Space Jazz, the soundtrack of the book Battlefield Earth. <laughs> we'll forgive him for that. Okay, no. very good. Alonzo, you were three for three. Here's question number four. From 2004 to 2012, what trumpeter had four consecutive studio albums hit number one on the Billboard Jazz chart? Oh, that's a tough one. Can I get a hint? Helen, how about a hint? He appeared in season three of The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. That tells me nothing. What? <laughs> Talk about a giveaway. <laughs> a trumpeter who was on The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills? Season three. Oh, man. Um, Roy Hargrove? I don't know. Helen? That is not correct. No, it was not Roy Hargrove, although I do enjoy his music I very much. Him. Liz, you have a chance to steal. Real Housewives of <laughs> Beverly season, Hills? Season three. Season three, Helen? Season three. Season three. Liz? What the heck? Just make... N n Say make a name of anyone? Say a name of anyone. Give a, give a shout-out to a friend of yours. Chuck Mangione. Ooh, is it her friend, Chuck Mangione? No. No, no incorrect. No, it was Chris Bode. Chris oh, Bode yeah, had those. Right. Yes. Yeah, that would make sense. Yes, Chuck Mangione played flugelhorn. Yeah, I knew yeah. he didn't even play the horn. He was just but a yeah, name I, I remember. Yeah, I mean, that, Chris Bode, yeah. that would have All right, been, you missed that one. Right. By the way, all four of those albums also charted in the top 40 of the Billboard 200 charts. A little wow. crossover there. Bode's very popular. All right, let's see if we can get you back on track. Here's number five. Best known to pop audiences from his 1985 top 40 hit about the Vietnam War, what artist has had 14 top 10 albums on the Billboard jazz chart? On the Vietnam War? Mm-hmm. I know, there's so many of those to choose from. How can you uh, just one? You do have a hint available, Alonzo. Yeah, i got to take my second hint now. Mm -hmm. I think you'll enjoy this. Helen? I would have guessed he would have n -n 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 19 albums there. If you know who it is, that is an outstanding hint. Yeah, I don't... Uh, I read obviously it, the audience I read it has and I didn't even know this. what it meant. Okay, 14 top jazz, and he did something about the Vietnam War? A top 40 hit about the Vietnam War yes. in 1985. Yes. I'm going to just throw out a name, Al Jarreau. I don't know. Was it Al Jarreau? It was no. not Al Jarreau. Liz Winstead, a chance to steal. Big 1984 mm -hmm. Vietnam War hit. Uh, no, uh, Jeff Warber. Was it Jeff Warber? It was not no, Jeff Warber. No, it was Paul Hardcastle. Paul Hardcastle with the big hit 19. Who's, I don't even know who Paul is. I know who Paul Hardcastle is. He's kind of an electronic piano Apparently, he had several top ten albums on the Billboard yeah, Jazz chart. But, but yeah. you know, thing, uh, every Paul Hardcastle record sounds like the same record. Like, he just has a sound that you know it's him right away. Right. But no, I wouldn't have guessed that in 100. So what is the na-na-na-na-na hint? That was a song called 19, and, and, and I believe it had a scratch part that went, no, 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 19, 19. Because I believe the average age of the uh, soldier in Vietnam was 19. I think that and was where was this point. a hit? In the America? In Vietnam. You got, do, the audience, do you know this song? 19? Yeah. Okay. All I know is all, I those, all those who remember the war, they won't forget what they've seen. Destruction of men in their something, and whose average age was 19. Yeah, okay. Really? All right. Good for him. Here now is your expert-level question that requires multiple answers. It's time for your cluster fact. Much we'll be, better, guys. Yes, very Much nice. better. I appreciate it. We'll be bringing on an expert to assess your response. The correct answer is worth up to three points. It's a little complicated, but I think, you're gonna, I think you've got a good chance. My Here. answer is tearing. 
<laughs> Incorrect. It was Terry. So much cooler than knowing about Scrabble. I just want to say that I acknowledge that in the presence of everyone. It's all relative. Here we go. The 2002 Grammy Award for Best Contemporary Jazz Album went to a jazz fusion record from a multi-instrumentalist who 10 years prior won a Grammy for writing and producing the best R&B song. The album featured guest artists including Herbie Hancock, Branford Marsalis, Maceo Parker, and Shaka Khan. For up to three points, name the multi-instrumentalist performer, his Grammy-winning album, and the record label that released it. Now, mind you, all the jazz Grammys are the ones given out before the show comes on TV. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and yes. you, ex- no, I know this because I know the people who've won them, and they're like, okay. "Yeah, we're out before the before it gets dark. We're gone." We just <laughs> like, "Come on in here. You want a Grammy? Now beat it. We got you know." There are I, other context clues though that could help you get this. There are what? There are context clues in the question that could. Yeah, help you get and it. you said in 1992 he won. Uh, he won uh, a Grammy for writing and producing best R&B song. Quincy Jones. Okay, Quincy Jones and the album. I'm picturing the album cover and I'm trying to get the name of it. Mm-hmm. This is going to kill me because I know it's it's in my phone right now. <laughs> um, this is killing me. Well, then we're doing it right. <laughs> yes, it is. Uh, let's see. The name, just tell me and then I can look. I'm going to show Liz on my phone that it's there and hate okay, myself. Okay, so you're only going to give one part of the three-part answer, and you're going to say it's Quincy Jones. Yeah. All right, let's uh, make a note of that. We have an expert on our hand who can tell us the answer for sure. Helen, who do we have with us this evening? Here with us tonight is a multi-instrumentalist jazz fusion artist. It's the winner. Who won two Grammy Awards. It's Marcus Miller. Marcus Miller! You are kidding me. <laughs> you. <laughs> Man. Come on up, Marcus. <laughs> Come on I didn't up, know Marcus. you won in 02? Yeah. Which, which record you win for? M squared. M squared. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Here's how what's cool going to kill it? you. Wait, how cool is, that is it? I this? have M squared. I guarantee you I have something off M squared in here. Let's see. Well, right. Let's say hello to Marcus first. Hello, Marcus. Thank you so much hey, for joining us. Marcus everybody. Miller, ladies and gentlemen. All right. And Marcus, as Alonzo, as Alonzo mentioned. There it is. Yep. It's on his phone. There's the album on the phone. <laughs> so you certainly did have the knowledge somewhere. I did. Yes. I didn't know. I knew you won Grammys, but I didn't know that you won a Grammy on M Squared. Yeah. Hey, how cool is it that uh, I got confused with Quincy Jones? That's not. Yeah, so that's bad. not. That's not bad. You could do worse. I mean, well, I mean, you, you I mean, two are the two guy, only two guys who could do that. Uh, well, Marcus, so tell us how you and Alonzo know each other. Well, we actually met on the uh, on the jazz cruise. Mm-hmm. Now, Marcus, Alonzo mentioned that he uh, he likes he likes to roast some of the jazz musicians on the cruise. Have you been a victim of such a roast? <laughs> and if not, would you like to be now, dude? <laughs> we dude, do have a he bit does of a day it, set up here. He does it every cruise, and I, I have scars because <laughs> he's merciless. And the fact that we're really good friends, you would think that I'd get a pass, but it just makes it worse. <laughs> <laughs> now, as Alonzo mentioned, as we mentioned in the question, you've worked with some amazing musicians. Uh, the one that I was particularly impressed by was you worked with Miles Davis. You were one of the last collaborators with Miles. How did that happen? I'm from New York, and I was making a name for myself. And uh, Miles Davis had been in retirement for six or seven years at the time. I was on a recording session for a, a group that I don't remember what group it was, and the receptionist handed me a note. And it said, call Miles. <laughs> what? So it's like saying, you know, getting a note that says, call Jesus. You know? <laughs> but I think most of us know how to reach Jesus. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> it's a little tougher to reach Miles. Anyway, I called the number with him. He said, I'm coming out of retirement, and I heard you were the guy. So can you show up at the studio in a couple of hours? 
What? And the next thing I know, I'm playing with a guy that I didn't even before that know if he was still alive. Uh, that was the beginning of off and on. I played with him for about 10 years. Outstanding. And Alonzo, you had something you wanted to add yeah, about Jake that? Yeah, J.K. Marcus, tell him how old you were when Miles called. 21. Mm. What? What were you doing at 21? <laughs> I, don't, I, would, I didn't get a call from Miles Davis at 21. You're working on a record now, aren't you, Marcus? Tell us about I'm that. I'm working on a new record. It's on Blue Note Records and Blue Note. Uh, hopefully they won't hear this podcast because I'm supposed to be working on it right now. No. <laughs> but I'll get it Nobody done. tell Blue Note. Yeah, but nobody tell Blue Note. <laughs> Uh, I'm no. going to tell. Okay. <laughs> Cost me three points. I'm talking. <laughs> you couldn't have whispered that answer from back there. You <laughs> hiding out. You could have threw your hat up on the table. I was thinking, I was, <laughs> if you threw your hat up here, I'd have had it. I was thinking about sending you, like, texts all day. Yeah. All right, well, let's get back to the reason that we uh, originally brought Marcus here today was the question that we asked Alonzo. Just to remind everyone, we asked Alonzo about the winner of the 2002 Grammy Award for Best Contemporary Jazz Album. What was the name of the artist, the name of the album, and the label? Helen, let's remind everyone of all of the answer that Alonzo gave us. <laughs> Alonzo said the artist was Quincy Jones. Marcus, is that correct? That is Incorrect. All right, so just for the record, if, if you were, the artist, uh, just for the record, who was the artist, what was the record, and what was the label? The artist is uh, yours truly, Marcus Miller. The name of the album is M Squared, and it was released on the Telarc jazz label. Wow. Excellent. And if people want to hear about more of your work or see you uh, play, where can they find you? Uh, Facebook, Marcus Miller Band, uh, MarcusMiller.com, and uh, working on a new record, and we'll be hitting, hitting the road in the spring. Mr. Marcus Miller, yeah. thanks for joining us. By the way, here's a little bonus from that episode that was not featured in the original episode because we had to cut it for time. But I think you're going to enjoy the follow-up question that Helen asks of our expert. You also wrote the song for Spike Lee's She's Gotta Have It called The Butt. What's That's it right. about? Okay, well, uh, Spike Lee, this uh, School Days was his second film. Mm -hmm. And uh, I didn't know Spike Lee, but he called me in the same way that Miles called. He said, hey... This is Spike. Listen, I need a song for a dance party I'm going to have in my next movie. It's going to be a bunch of girls with big rear ends, and uh, it's got to be a dance song. We want it to be the hit sensation across the nation. Call me when you have something. <laughs> I should have been a journalist. <laughs> Finally, let's close out on a segment that proves that Go Fact Yourself makes dreams come true. Yeah, this was a very special moment. Uh, fellow Max Funster Emily Heller is a huge Indigo Girls fan, and she did a great job answering questions against comedian Guy Branham. But nothing, nothing could prepare her for the expert that we had in store for her. All right, Emily, here you go, question number one. One of the Indigo Girls' most famous songs actually made it to the Billboard 100, a rare feat for a contemporary folk duo. Finish this line from that song. The less I seek a source for some definitive... The closer I am to fine. I'm sorry, we would prefer, I think, if you sang it. Closer I am to fine. Helen? Yeah. That is that correct. That is correct. Thank you for letting me put you on the spot with that. Uh, fun fact, their other song to hit the pop charts was Galileo, uh, one of your favorites. All right, question number two. Indigo Girls have been nominated for seven Grammy Awards and so far have won one for their first major label release in 1989. What was the name of that album? I want to say it was just called Indigo Girls. Are you saying that? Can I have a hint? You want to use one of your hints? I want to use one of my hints. All right, Helen, how about that first hint? The answer is contained in the question. <laughs> 
It was called Indigo Girls. Ellen? That is correct. That is correct. A point there for Emily. I was trying trying to get you off the hint, but you wanted to. I know, that I is know. your right to use. Yeah, and okay. Sometimes I it's good to confirm your suspicions. <laughs> I just didn't want to get something like that wrong. Yeah, all right. Well, you got it right. Let's move on uh, to question number three. Uh, number three. The Indigo Girls are great songwriters, of course, but they also enjoy performing covers of other people's songs, especially when playing live. In fact, on their live albums, they've released two live recordings of songs written by Bob Dylan. Name them. Tangled Up in Blue. Other Bob Dylan songs. Hmm? I think I just don't care about Bob Dylan very much. <laughs> I hope he's not our expert. That's going to be very embarrassing. Uh, I, I guess I'm going to have to guess, right? Unless I use one of my other hints. Those are the options available to you, yes. I'll use one of my other hints. Helen, how about that second hint? One of them was written by Bob Dylan, but became well-known for Jimi Hendrix. Interesting. Written by Bob Dylan, made popular by Jimi Hendrix. Uh, it's not the Star-Spangled Banner. Um... <laughs> And it's Purple Haze. That's the only Jimi Hendrix song I can think of. Going to go with Purple Haze and Tangled Up in Blue. How many is that correct? (laughs) That is not correct. Not correct. Uh, I have a chance to steal. I'm going to go. Do I get two guesses because there are two answers? There are two answers. Yes, what are your two answers? I'm going to go with All Along the Watchtower and Rolling Stone. Helen? Also not correct. Also not correct. No, but if you put them together, you would have gotten them all along the watchtower, tangled up in blue with the songs. Helen, would you like to give her half point because she? she I got one of them. Stuff? You did get. Yeah. You get one of them. Yeah. Let's Wanna give her half yeah, point. Yeah, half point. Half point. All right. Thank you. All right, question number four. Before becoming Indigo Girls, Emily Sailors and Amy Ray called themselves Sailors and Ray. But at what Atlanta university did Sailors and Ray change their name to Indigo Girls? I believe it was Emory. Helen. That is correct. That is correct. Emory University. Uh, more, more like Emily University, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> You're doing quite well in this round. Here's okay. question number five. Since their 2009 album, Poseidon and the Bitter Bug, Indigo Girls have released their albums on their own independent label. What is that label called? I believe it's called IG, like recordings or, or records, yeah. Helen? That is correct. That is correct. It's IG Recordings. Very, very good round Excellent. for Emily Heller. All right, Emily, now here's your expert-level question that requires multiple answers. It is time for your cluster fact. Okay. <laughs> yes, the tension is palpable up here. It really is. This question is so high-level, we'll be bringing on an expert to assess your response. The answer is worth up to three points. Indigo Girls have made their mark on music, of course, but they've also made their mark in other media. For up to three points, identify these on-screen appearances by Indigo Girls. One, a 1995 movie starring Whoopi Goldberg. Another, a 2006 documentary about crossword puzzles. And the most recent, a 2015 comedy streaming on Amazon. Emily uh, shaking her head from side to side. So the first one is Boys on the Side. Mm-hmm. The second one about crossword puzzles. Mm-hmm. I should know the name of this. I, I'm not going to get it. It's like Scrabble or something. I don't know. So it's about crossword it's puzzles, about but crossword... it's called Scrabble. <laughs> yes. Okay. No, it's, it's called... Uh, uh, if, you, if you were going to name a documentary... Puzzled. Puzzled. It's called Puzzles. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to guess Puzzled. I know I'm getting this wrong. Pu- so you're, but just to, just to be clear, you're going with Puzzle Singular. Puzzled with, puzzled. A, with oh, a D. Excuse me. Puzzled. All right. Puzzled. And then uh, finally, the 2015 comedy streaming on Amazon. Um, could you be more specific? Comedy? A comedy streaming on Amazon. 
and uh, they appeared on it in Oh, that was, a, that was a transparent. Transparent. Yeah. All right, Helen is taking note of those answers. We have an expert on hand who can tell us for sure. Helen, who do we have tonight? Here with us tonight via Skype from her home in Decatur, Georgia, is a Grammy-winning singer, songwriter, and musician who is one half of the Indigo Girls. It's Emily Salyer! Emily Salyer! Oh, my gosh. Hey, Emily. Hi, I'm such a huge fan. This is so surreal, so surreal. I'm sitting here, the dogs are barking, the pizza's coming, and I'm waiting with bated breath to see what y'all are going to say, and it's just like, life is good. Oh, my gosh. Well, life is very good for us. It's a a real treat and an honor to to have you here. I have to say that I personally have many of your albums. I have seen you in concert. Uh, I went to Sarah Lawrence, so that might explain uh, some of that. Uh, so it's wonderful. I have to say, do, uh, you know, there, there are wonderful reasons to, to do a show, and if anyone's considering producing or hosting your own show, one of the best reasons is because you get an excuse to talk to people that you admire and oh respect gosh. so much. So uh, this is a real treat for all of us. I feel truly ill-prepared. <laughs> <laughs> but you've answered all your questions, so it's all good. Oh, good, yeah. yes. I just want to say the song It's All Right has been instrumental in easing my Trump anxiety in the past year. Uh, I listen to it a lot. Thanks for saying that. We've actually started playing it a lot since he got elected. So it's actually has used my own mind all these years later, which is weird how a song could do that. But thanks for saying that. I know what you mean. And we are like, and I can't find you sexy either. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, but it's nice that you write these light pop songs that uh, Emily Heller enjoys. I reworded that. Yes, you did. I no, want it on the very, record that I reworded that. You were very diplomatic. Uh, um, you guys uh, obviously play a lot of concerts. How do you decide when you're going to work with a, a backing band or just the two of you, or as you've done recently, with a full symphony orchestra? Yeah, well, we got invited to do uh, shows with symphony orchestras and went through a process of having our songs arranged for orchestras. So that was just like such a gift to us and a real pleasure and honor. I would say, generally speaking, when an album first comes out, we like to go out with a band and present it that way. All right. And then we mix it up, sometimes just two of us, whatever. Okay, cool. And then you've also uh, recently gone and done some more solo work. You had your own solo album recently called Murmuration Nation. What was it like being uh, out there on the road on your own? Not as fun as being with Amy. (laughs) (laughs) It was good, but it wasn't. I I missed her. But I I enjoyed exploring. We have some different um, musical sensibilities. Yeah. You know, after she has like seven albums now, she's really wanted to explore her own for me, but I, I only did it this once. And, uh, but I love the experience, and I'm proud of the album. Yeah, I was interested, I was interested to, to read that uh, you, you are really into hip-hop and rap, that that's influenced you a lot. Um, tell us about that, and, and are, you, are you able to bring any of that kind of flavor into, into your music currently? I love hip-hop and rap, and I'm trepidatious about co-opting anything. Nothing, you know, drives me crazier than trying to do something that you can't do better than the people who are best at it. But I have a yearning to do that. I definitely incorporated R&B-influenced beats and drums on my solo album, and Amy and I have dabbled in, in it a, a bit. But, yeah, so I you know, I started out loving political rap like Public Enemy, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but now it runs again. Lo- I'm obsessed with Young Thug, rapper from Atlanta. <laughs> like, oh my God. I can't stop listening to him. Please, please release a rap album. <laughs> please. <laughs> When I used to drink, I was like the best white rapper you ever heard. 
We'll definitely have to have you back when the, the next time that happens. Uh, uh, Helen... <laughs> Not move lights on. Okay, all right. Uh, we mentioned that uh, Indie Girls have won one Grammy. Uh, I was interested to read that you were up for another Grammy that night. Uh, tell us about what you were up for, and, and it's very interesting who you lost to. We were up for Best New Artist, and we lost to Millie Vanilli. <laughs> What was we that did. like? Did you have an idea at that time that these guys maybe weren't uh, singing? Which seems to be a key part of no. music. No, we, we had no idea. And what's funny is now, like, everything is so, like, manipulated with the technology sure. that people practically don't even sing. So times change. But, no, you know, they were, like, they had a bunch of hits and they were a super hot group. And it was kind of no surprise that they won. But it was... Uh, it was sort of fun, not because some sad things happened in the end for sure, one of the yeah. guys, obviously, but, you know, which was terrible. But, you know, it was fun to think about, well, who would have won if they if they didn't win? Mm-hmm. But they never they never reawarded the Grammy. So that's been kind of a whole fun and uh, a <laughs> fool in the history of the Grammys as yeah. far as we're concerned. You're sort of the uh, Shawshank Redemption versus Forrest Gump of, <laughs> of the Best New Artist Grammys. If, if Forrest Gump had, had you know, been overdubbed by somebody else. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right, uh, I could talk to you all day, but let's get to the reason that we brought you here as far as our game is concerned. You heard the question that we asked of Emily Heller. Uh, first, we wanted to know what was that 1995 movie starring Whoopi Goldberg that Indigo Girls appeared in. Helen, let's remind everyone, what was the answer that Emily Heller gave? Emily said, boys on the side. And Emily Saliers? That is correct. That is correct. The yes. point. Next, we wanted to know what was that 2006 documentary about crossword puzzles that you two appeared in. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Emily is not confident in her uh, answers. She <laughs> backs away from the microphone laughing. Helen, let's remind everyone of the answer that Emily Heller gave us. Emily said puzzle. It sounds very reasonable. What about that, Emily Saliers? That is not correct, and neither is Scrabble. The correct <laughs> answer is wordplay. Wordplay, uh, yes. I actually watched it. It's a great documentary, and it's fun to watch you guys talk about uh, your excitement of, of having been a clue in the uh, New York Times crossword puzzle and then actually watch you solve a puzzle. It's a lot of fun. Do, are you still, a, are you still yeah. a big uh, crossword puzzle fan? Every Sunday. All right. Oh, New York Times crossword puzzle every Sunday. That's great. Uh, and then finally, we asked Emily Heller, what was the 2015 comedy streaming on Amazon in which the Indigo Girls appeared? Helen, what did Emily Heller say? Emily said transparent. And Emily Saliers? That is correct. That is correct. Another point for Emily Heller. Uh, can I just say, my entire immediate family are big fans. The first concert I ever went to was an Indigo Girls concert with my mom, my dad, my brother, and my sister. What? And my sister is a director, and she directed a couple episodes of Transparent, and she was so upset when she found out that she could have directed an episode that the <laughs> Indigo Girls were in, and she didn't. Wow. <laughs> that was a cool bunch of people working on that show. And Emily, thanks for uh, picking Indigo Girls for your topic. That, oh my that's gosh. exciting for me and for Amy. I can't imagine that it approaches even a small percentage of the excitement that I feel right now. (laughs) Please communicate my reverence to Amy. I love you guys so much. Please come back to L.A. immediately. I think we all... Give us a call when we're in town, and uh, we'll we'll hook you up uh, for tickets, and we'll say hey after the show. That'd be fun for us. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. We're all freaking out. Oh, my God. I I really hate to tell you this, but there's no way I'm not holding you to that. (laughs) 
That's it. I really mean it. I really mean it. Oh, my God. That's very great to see you, and it's wonderful you that you uh, joined You can't see. I wish you could yeah. see Emily Heller right now. She's <laughs> quietly freaking out yeah. in her chair. That's great. Uh, Emily, I know, you're, I know that uh, you are active uh, politically and that uh, you and Amy are, are uh, touring and uh, have a new album coming out. If people want to find out more about what you're up to, where can they go? We have indigogirls.com is the website, and we post throughout social media, you know, all the social medias. We keep fans up to date on what's coming out, and we're touring, touring, touring. So many, so many, so many reasons to love and be grateful that we got to talk with Emily Saliers, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Thank you so much. That Thank you really so much. For me. Thank you so much. Okay, bye. That was great. And uh, by the way, if you want to hear a follow-up to that quiz, including how Emily Heller met Emily Saliers, please make sure to check out the bonus content that we recorded for members of Maximum Fun. We made a special episode where we interview some of our past guests to find out how their relationships with their experts continued after the show was over. And you can hear it only if you're a Max Fun member. Uh, that's right. All you have to do is go to MaximumFun.org slash join to become a MaxFun member. That's MaximumFun.org slash join. And that'll give you access to the MaxFun bonus feed with all sorts of great episodes from every MaxFun show. There literally are hundreds of hours of content. Uh, we've also got a great full live episode that we recorded there with MaxFun hosts Ross and Carrie. Uh, in the meantime, though, that just leaves me to thank all of our guests, all of our experts, all of our live audience, and you, the listener. Today's show was produced and edited by Julian Burrell. Our senior producer is Laura Swisher. Our live sound engineer is Dave McKeever. Go Fact Yourself's theme song and incidental music were written and performed by Jonathan Green. I've been Helen Hong. Let's go listen to music and talk in French accents. Wee oui, wee. Oui. She said wee oui, wee. Oui. <laughs> MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture Artist owned Audience supported